Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. That was like, oh my gosh. That was just a beautiful, beautiful moment. I was, wow. That is great framing, great blocking, good action, good scale. Um, and it just looked so good. The sunset was just beautiful on its own. But the combination of the explosion with them jetpacking, I just... I love that. And I just want to keep talking about that one, like two second shot that honestly didn't have to look as good as it did, but the care in making it look that good makes me love this episode and that moment even more. Welcome back, Basement Binge listeners, to another Mando Mini. On chapter 11, there is, which is a super fun episode. So let's keep this episode mini, jump right into it. So starting off with a spoiler wall. You guys know this is a spoiler-free reaction and very quick thought uh, about the film. Yeah, my reaction to it. So let's keep it simple. It, it picks right up after the last episode with the frog lady and then heading to the planet Trask to reunite Frog Lady with her husband and help her to have her eggs so she can have a family. It's a lot of fun. You get a ton of great visuals with great music. It is another side quest that Din has to take in order to get to his ultimate quest of returning Baby Yoda to the Jedi. He's been quested with that, and he's going off information from one person to another in the process people ask him something so once again but it's he has to do that but it's a super fun side quest and i really 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 enjoyed it so that was awesome uh but yeah keeping it spoiler free here so other great things it's this episode really connects the Mandalorian more and more into Star Wars and the other things that happen into the lore, which is fun. We also just get Clone Wars being, or not clones, we also get Stormtroopers being Stormtroopers, which is always funny. There's a great action set piece. Um, Baby Yoda is as cute as ever. It's just a lot of fun. It's a shorter episode, the shortest one so far, but I really enjoyed it, especially the visuals of it. I thought this was the most beautiful episode, just visually, of the entire series so far. So, that's your spoiler wall. If you don't want any spoilers, there's, I don't want to, I mean, it's not like huge, but there are big things that happen in this episode in the way that it connects further into the rest of the Star Wars universe. If you don't want anything spoiled, now is the time to pause the episode, go watch chapter 11 of The Mandalorian, come back and listen to the main episode. We're moving on to Two Cents. So this is more of my kind of reaction, two minutes, even though time is irrelevant. 
Um, but our spoilers are obviously here. So two cents. I love that this episode wasn't just another kind of lame distraction. Last episode with Cade, when he was here, we were hypothesizing on whether or not the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda and Frog Lady were going to have problems in space with a broken down uh, spaceship with the, uh, what's it called? The Razor Crest um, being totally broken down and it didn't happen, which I appreciate. I appreciate that they didn't rely on like cheap conflict and they make it to the planet Trask and the Razor Crest flying in and the opening where it falls into the water and both being taken out of the water is just amazing. I don't know if they use a miniature or if they use CGI for the water effects, but they look so good. Like, especially when it's being lifted up out of the water and water's kind of fallen out of all its parts all over the place and they drop it. And it, I, oh, I was just so amazed with the water. I don't know if it was just a really impressive water simulation for through CGI or if they use miniatures. I know they use a lot of miniatures. They're really faithful to that. But I also know they have a huge budget, so it's probably a combination of both. But it looks great either way. And that's not going to be the last time you're going to hear me say it looks great for this episode. There were so many shots that I was like, this is, this is just so well shot. I love the cin- cinematography in this episode. Love the, the effects and the designs and how all of that added to the visuals. And that was really great. Uh, for example, just giving you one, is when later Din meets the three Mandos and then he jetpacks off the boat and later shows them jetpacking off the boat after they blow it up in the sunset. I was, that was like, oh my gosh, that was just a beautiful, beautiful moment. I was, wow, that is great framing, great blocking, good action, good scale, and, and kind of physics, kinetic energy, for lack of better words. Um, and it just looked so good. The sunset was just beautiful on its own, but the combination of the explosion with them jetpacking, I just, I love that. And I just want to keep talking about that one, like two second shot that honestly didn't have to look as good as it did, but the care in making it look that good makes me love this episode and that moment even more. Um, but honestly, all of the jetpack stuff in this episode looks so good. It, it reminds me of the very first Pacific Rim where they really understand scale and physics and movement and add weight to it in the, the way the camera reacts to them jetpacking. It's like a camera on the ground viewing it a lot of the time or, or, or the, sh- the shakiness of it. I, I don't know. It just it's added a scale and, and physics to those jetpack moments that made it feel so much more real and more exciting. I loved it. Other things is that frog union reunion at the beginning was so adorable. It, that was such like a tender, well-done moment between people that clearly love each other that didn't have to, again, didn't have to be that well-made. And it was, and it was awesome. Love that. Other thing, we got Bo-Katan teaming up and she shows up. The music is super cool. The other great thing, this is probably more binge point, but Bo-Katan is played by the same actress that voiced her in both the Clone Wars and Rebels, uh, Katie Sackhoff. And she looks great as Bo-Katan, which I think is so awesome that they're using the same actors or, or trying to. This is the first time we see that moment. I hope they do the same thing with Ahsoka. And obviously they made Katie look Super great as Bo-Katan. She looked really, really good. Uh, other things, the action in this one is directed so good. Uh, it was really good action, especially for how quick the episode was. And, you know, it's directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, who is kind of famous more for, or I want to say famous, more known, more well-known for her character in Jurassic World. The name is Slippy Me. She's a redhead in the Jurassic World that teams up with Chris Pratt. 
obviously she's a very, very talented director. She directed another episode from season one. Let me get the exact number. It was uh, chapter four, which is um, titled The Sanctuary, where they battle against the ATST in that that awesome episode where, again, the action was so done. Yeah, Bryce Dallas Howard, she's really making her name for herself in well-done visuals and actions and, and how to balance action and quick storytelling and adding to the Lord and world building. She's a very, very talented director, and I'm glad that I'm becoming more aware of her name because I'm looking forward for her involvement. We'll get more into the directors later. Other huge thing we got on Ahsoka name drop. That was awesome. Got me pumped. You know, probably like the biggest name drop in live action Star Wars. I'm, I'm, I love Ahsoka. She's great. I'm so excited for her, hopefully, like truly to be brought into this series. And again, back to what I said in the first episode, they're balancing the introduction of these characters so well where it's done lovingly and without bloating and without just like giving useless fan service and just like overpowering the actual story and actual, you know, this is about Din and Baby Yoda not about Ahsoka. Like, I would love Ahsoka to be a part of that story, but this is Din's story, and I love the the respect that they're giving him. So that was a quick two cents. Um, let's get on to the binge points here. I mean, these episodes are many. Let's just keep it moving along. And I first wanted to point out, not necessarily in reaction to my podcast, but I just saw a huge never negative reaction online to Baby Yoda eating the eggs from last episode. It was supposed to be disturbing, okay? The showrunners, they're confirming it was not meant like it was obviously meant to be funny i thought it was hilarious but it was also meant to be disturbing and again like i mentioned in my hypothesis that episode last episode the baby baby yoda the child he's still hungry like that's a a part of the plot in this episode i wonder if it's going to reveal bigger things in the future but also as payback for eating all the frog lady eggs he was almost eaten three times in this episode i think that's more than fair he even learned how to be- behave and mind his manners and was excited about the hatched tadpole frog child thing and was able to be nice and not eat it. And the the parents taught him his manners, which is good. So yeah, there you go. Other things. We got more dank ferric. Every time they say that, I think it's hilarious. That's just awesome that that's included in there. Other random binge point. We get a Easter egg of the Vader helmet noise like that yeah, from uh, Revenge of the Sith. You guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, when Bo-Katan takes off her helmet near the end, right when, right before she name drops Ahsoka, I heard it and I was like, no, that wasn't it. Rewinded it was. It was awesome. Other great things I loved about this episode, the silent humor in the whole Mandalorian series, but in this episode, had me laughing so hard when he sees, when Din sees the Razor Crest again. <laughs> He's like, I gave you 10,000 credits. Is that all you could do? And the guy just like hands him his tablet looking thing to have him sign the invoice. Like it's just silent humor that I just thought was so funny. And again, the payback to Baby Yoda and getting eaten three times. So, and that was hilarious. Like when the thing jumps out of his soup and then just like, don't play with your food. I don't know. It's hilarious. Now, I also want to talk about how interesting it is that Jon Favreau is really exploring the Star Wars universe in a gray time. We saw that last episode. The Empire's just fallen. The New Republic is trying to create law and order and civility and, and safety and, and economy. And it's just a very great time in the universe where people, where morals are a little secondary to survival. It's very, very interesting. And it's interesting to follow a bounty hunter in that journey specific, specifically who's already kind of a gray individual to begin with. It's interesting. 
Um, other huge things. We got Bo-Katan going Mad Dog after the Darksaber, which I've been wondering about forever. How did Moff Gideon end up with the Darksaber? We'll get more into that later in the hypothesis, but I have no idea. <laughs> and it's it's good to like bring some continuity, and I'm glad that 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 Dave Filoni and, and John Favreau are filling in those those blanks, um, which I'm excited to see. Now, as a binge point here, I wanted to dive in a little bit to the history of the Darksaber. If you aren't familiar with the other Star Wars uh, TV series, namely the Clone Wars and Rebels, which you should be, they are great. Love them. But yeah, it's it's I'm, I tried to water it down and make it as spoiler free as I could. It took a while. The the dark saber is is a big part of Rebels and uh, the Clone Wars. Believe it or not, there's a lot that happens with it. You should watch it. It's great. If you're worried about any spoiler whatsoever, just skip ahead of a minute. But really, you shouldn't worry. I sp- like watered down all the spoilers I can and, and kept the juicy things out just so you could get the history of the Darksaber. So let's dive into it. A quick history of the Darksaber from what we know. So way back at the dawn of time, I'm just kidding, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, there was a Mandalorian named Tar Vizsla who was the first Mandalorian to become a Jedi because for so long the Mandalorians and the Jedi fought. Um, it kind of ends with each other. So this Vizsla guy, he became the first Mandalorian Jedi and created the Darksaber and used the Darksaber to unite Mandalore and lead Mandalore. Anyway, so he died and that Darksaber was kept in the Jedi Temple after he died. Well, members of House Vizsla, you know, his clan, his household, took it from the Jedi Temple during the fall of the Old Republic and used that Darksaber to unite Mandalore. So again, the Darksaber quickly in the history of Mandalore became a symbol and a status that belonged to the current leader, the Mandalore, and a symbol of great unity for Mandalorians. You know, anything, the history of Mandalorians is they're always involved in conflict and wars and fine with people and divisions among themselves and civil wars. And the Darksaber consistently has been a, a symbol of leadership and unity uh, that's important to him. And it starts way back at the beginning. So sometime later than that, during the Clone Wars, Pre Vizsla, who's a descendant of the original Tar Vizsla who cre- created the Darksaber, ended up with a Darksaber and used it to lead his extremist group of Mandalorians called the Death Watch. At the time, Mandalorian wa- Mandalore, the, the planet, was a pacifist, nonviolent planet because of their continual history of wars and civil wars they had become a pacifist nonviolent people well on the moon of mandalorian mandalore i forget the name of it there was an extremist group in elitist called the death watch we'll get more into that later and their leader was pre vizsla who had the dark saber and used it to lead them he fought against obi-wan with it it's awesome have i mentioned how great the clone wars is you should watch it so this guy leading his death watch kind of teams up with Darth Maul and his brother and some other bads dudes and plans to start a civil war on Mandalore and through the civil war and the help of Darth Maul, he, pre becomes, with the help of Death Watch, his Mandalorian extremist, becomes the, I don't know, the, the winners, if there's any winners in the civil war. He becomes the winners of the civil war and becomes Mandalore, becomes a leader of Mandalorian. And with the help of Bo-Katan, Bo-Katan is a member of Death Watch at this time under the, the leadership of Pre-Vizsla. Well, Maul, being the bad dude he is, betrays Pre-Vizsla 
and challenges him to combat and bests him in combat and kills him and gains a dark saber for himself, kind of claiming himself as a leader of Mandalore and appointing some dude named Almec. You don't need to remember his name. He's quickly replaced, but he appoints Almec as the prime minister of Mandalore and he maintains the dark saber for himself as the leader of Death Watch. Maul does. Well, Bo-Katan has a problem to follow a non-Mandalorian as the leader of Mandalore, an outsider, meaning Maul. So she breaks off and she starts her own Mandalorian group called the Night Owls. Well, this is also just like leaving out a ton of other things that happen in the process involving Darth Sidious and Maul and them fighting and his brother, Darth Maul's brother and Darth Maul's mother and their home planet and Darth Maul's revenge against Obi-Wan and their rich history. Like, again, have I mentioned how good the Clone Wars is? You should watch it. But that all happens. Bo-Katan, now with her group of Mandalorians called the Night Owls, gets the help of Ahsoka and fights another civil war against Maul and his followers and Death Watch. During that time, during the Imperial era, Sabine Wren, eventually, I'm skipping a bunch of stuff for spoiler reasons, finds the Darksaber on Darth Maul's planet. And she is a Mandalorian. She was grew up on Mandalore during when it was under Imperial rule. Anyway, the Empire's taken over Mandalore, so Sabine, no longer wanting to follow Imperial rule, uses the Darksaber to fight again against the Empire, who's possessing Mandalore. Again, Sabine is a Mandalorian. Bo-Katan, the Mandalorian, returns, and Sabine offers her the Darksaber to lead the Mandalorians against the Empire. Bo-Katan turns the Darksaber down as she thinks she's unfit to rule because of the way she failed previously. I also forgot to mention, Bo-Katan is the sister of the previous ruler of Mandalore that was overthrown during that forced civil war with Pre Vizsla. Uh, so she feels like she let the nation down and she's not a leader like her sister was. She, anyway, she denies the Darksaber. They continue their civil war against the Empire on Mandalore. They win over the Empire and regain Mandalore for themselves. Bo-Katan at this time accepts, accepts the Darksaber and uses it again as a symbol to unite her people. So again, rich history of civil wars and fights and the Darksaber uniting Mandalorians. Then some point later, a big gap, Moff Gideon ends up with a Darksaber. We see it at the end of Chapter 8 of The Mandalorian Season 1. He has a Darksaber. How did he get it? I don't know. Also, what you need to know that's helpful. Involved in this is Sabine, who fought, who had the Darksaber, offered it to Bo-Katan. They fought with a rebel group that Ezra, who's kind of the main Jedi protagonist of Star Wars Rebels, him, Ahsoka, Sabine, all kind of work together as a group of rebels. Well, Ezra disappears towards the end of the season. And after this whole civil war and Bo-Katan uniting Mandalore with the Darksaber, Sabine and Ahsoka go out to find Ezra, and he's missing. That's important. Now, on to hypothesize with Harrison, because I'm pretty sure I did that anyway. It's, it's interesting what's going to happen in all this. First off, does Din know about the symbol of the Darksaber? I don't know. I don't know how much the Children of the Watch understand that symbol of unity and leadership. 
Also, how in the world did Moff Gideon get it? Because traditionally, the Darksaber is possessed by the leader of Mandalore. And it's actually a big plot point for Sabine as she finds it. And the way that you gain it is by killing the owner of the Darksaber or besting them in ritual combat and, and claiming yourself as the leader in Mandalore and getting the Darksaber. Well, obviously, Sabine is... Or not Sabine. Wow, I'm getting these names moving up. Obviously, Bo-Katan is still alive. How did Moff Gideon get it if she's still alive? Was she badly injured and had to revive? Or did he steal it? Did she lose it? Did something else happen? Like, what's? I'm sure we're going to find that out. Other thing that I don't know. They name drop Ahsoka because Bo-Katan and Ahsoka obviously had worked together. Sabine is involved in that. Ezra's involved in that. Sabine and Ahsoka went to go find Ezra, who's a Jedi. Is Din going to find Sabine and Ezra when he finds Ahsoka? Or is he going to find Ahsoka? Or is just Sabine? And then he's going to have to go on another quest to find Ahsoka. And is he eventually going to make his way to Luke? Because if you didn't know, the Mandalorian in the canon of Star Wars exists after the fall of the Empire in Return of the Jedi, Episode 6. So, what's going to happen? Luke is still alive. He has not died yet. And I don't know. I'll look up for next episode, I promise. I don't know if this is the time when he's starting, you know, his own Jedi order and training um, Ben Solo before everything that we learned about in The Last Jedi. I don't know. Is he going to end up with Luke? Is Din eventually going to give Baby Yoda Luke or Ahsoka? How's that all going to happen? I don't know. I'm so interested to find out. I'm also interested. What the heck is Baby Yoda going to do now that he's so hungry all the time? Is he growing? I'm, I, I just want to know. Maybe it's all just, maybe he just needs to eat because, I don't know, we got to see Baby and I don't know. Maybe it's meaningless. I'm thinking about it too much, but I don't think so. I think it means something. Um, other interesting thing, we learn a little bit more about the Mandalorian because I was very, very curious of this. Um, obviously, because if you watch the Clone Wars and Rebels, the Mandalorians in those shows, which again, you should watch, do not follow the same way, the way that Din follows. Um, and we got that mention. Bo-Katan, when she's... When Din reacts to them taking off their helmet. He's like, you don't cover your face, blah, 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 blah. Uh, he responds in the way that we would expect him to. He said, where do you get that armor? Bo-Katan. This armor has been in my family for three generations. You don't cover your face. You're not a Mandalorian. Axe woes. Oh, he's one of them. Bo-Katan. Dank Farrick. The Mandalorian. One of what? Bo-Katan. I am Bo-Katan of Clan Cries. I was born on Mandalore and fought the Purge, which is the Empire's rule. Anyway, I am the last of my line, and you are a child of the watch. Then replies, the watch? Bo-Katan replies, children of the watch are a cult of religious zealots that broke away from the Mandalore society. Their goal is to reestablish the ancient way. Mandalore implies there's only one way, the way of Mandalore, and then he jetpacks off like a boss. So, we know that from season one, when you see the flashback of Din being saved by the Mandalorians, that that is Death Watch. Or a break off of Dead Watch. Maybe they dropped the death and just called themselves the Watch and they didn't become as extremist and elitist. Maybe they were just, you know, a little zealous about the ancient way of Mandalore or Mandalorians. So that's gonna be interesting because we have kind of the the night owls that that Bo Katan led and her eventual unification of the Mandalorians. And we have the break off of the Death Watch and how divided were they and that's a big chunk of lore that 
they just like dropped like oh hey here's a big thing that can be explored but we're not going to tell you anything about it i don't know it's just great great lore building it's not packed again this this episode and the series is directed and written so well where you get a good balance of action and combat and and lore and story and character arc and all of it just combines so perfectly in a great way but i'm really curious what's going to happen because the dark saber is a very very powerful tool in the unification of Mandalorians. Obviously, Bo-Katan and Sabine, probably Ahsoka, maybe even Ezra, know about that symbol. But does Din, as he was raised by the Watch, does the Watch still believe in the symbol of the Darksaber? I don't know. Does he even know what the Darksaber is? Obviously, he, in the series, we haven't seen him. He doesn't know that Moff Gideon has it. Obviously, Bo-Katan does. But maybe Din kind of overheard the Darksaber, but he didn't mention it. He was so worried about getting back to the child because he's a good dad like that. I don't know. I'm so interested. And how the heck did Moff Gideon get it? I'm sure that's something we're going to continue to explore, maybe even in a season three. Um, now, let's get into the big name drop of Ahsoka. Obviously, Din is making his way to Ahsoka, which is super thrilling. But I don't think it's going to happen next episode. Next episode is chapter 12 or episode five. Um, and it is directed by Carl Weathers, which is actually really exciting. If you don't know, he's the actor who plays Grief Karga, which is interesting to me. I thought on his way to whatever planet Bo-Katan name dropped, I wasn't paying attention. I was so excited about the Vader helmet noise in Ahsoka. I wasn't paying attention to the planet. But on his way to that planet, he can easily, easily plat- pass the planet that I also forget the name of that Grief Karga and Cara Dune are on. Is he going to pick up his buddies? get the whole clan back together, and then make it to Ahsoka, I think something like that is going to happen because the episode after that, chapter 13, or episode 6 of season 2, is written and directed by the one and only Dave Filoni. Now, this is the first episode of this season to be written by someone else besides Jon Favreau. Obviously, Jon Favreau is involved involved as the creative force behind him, the producer. Um, So yeah, Jon Favreau, he wrote chapter five and directed chapter one and five and obviously wrote and directed the Clone Wars. He created the character of Ahsoka. He cares about Ahsoka very much. He deserves to. So that'd be really great if they allowed him the honor of bringing her into live action Star Wars. That'd be really cool. I think that's what's going to happen. That makes the most sense. Give the creator of the character the opportunity to direct her in the show. He's obviously a very talented director um, in the other Mandalorian episodes he's directed. So, yeah, I think that it's going to be fun to see Carl Weathers direct himself as Grief Karga and Cara Dune. And Mando is going to get his team back together. And they're going to head to wherever Ahsoka is. And Dave Filoni is going to introduce her. Um, now, I'm really interested to know what's going to happen. You know, are they eventually going to find Luke? I tried to, like, dig up as many things with different writers and directors. Um, so the next few episodes, chapter 14 and chapter 16, I could not find a director for, but they are both written by John Favreau. Chapter 15, though, is directed by Rick Famuyiwa. Probably said that wrong. He also directed chapter two and six of season one. Um, he, but he is also writing chapter 15. I don't know what's happening there. Maybe I should rewatch chapter two and six and see what he was involved in, but it didn't give away too much. And who knows? Are they eventually going to find Luke? I don't know, but I do hope that either chapter 14 or 16 is again directed by Bryce Dallas Howards because she's great. I love her directing ability and I love her visuals. They look so beautiful. Um, 
so yeah, that was my hypothesis. It wasn't much of a hypothesis, more of just like presenting what I think is going to happen and things that I want to be explored. Um, specifically, the history of Mandalore. It's very, very rich. And I also just want to plug, if you have not watched Clone Wars or Rebels, you need to watch it. Clone Wars is so good. You want to get your knowledge up about Ahsoka before she shows up. It's so good. I don't want to spoil anything. But obviously, if you want to pay attention to the Darksaber part, watch it. There's so many good parts in it. it the lore is so good. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening to the Mando Mini with Harrison from The Basement Binge. I think that's all for now. Yeah, that's all for now. Ciao, ciao. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.